If you would, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, let's get you one. They're in the back. Just raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. Sometimes um, we forget it's okay to get emotional for Jesus. You know, we get to a ball game and your team scores or something happens, you get all emotionally excited. Uh, you see something happen at work and you get all emotionally get excited. Then we come to church and we're like, shh, do not say anything. It's okay to smile. It's okay to give praise. It's okay to clap. It's okay to shout. Joy Chamberlain, you all circled up. All the ladies, I have to admit, as a guy, I was a little jealous last week because the announcement was, ladies, after the service, please gather up at the front. And I'm telling you, every lady was up there, and there was this, just the church, the, I was going to say the school, the church about tilted because all the ladies were, it was like it was a big conglomeration of all these ladies. And I hope, don't take that as a negative thing. Some of you right now are saying, oh, so what are you saying? I'm just saying everybody was standing over there. That's all I'm saying, okay? Sorry. And, and you circled up around Joy and you prayed for her. Monday she went in and uh, she got her results back. And she goes, I'm cancer-free. And it's exciting, amen? That's a wonderful thing to cheer for. I mean, thank you, ladies, for praying. Thank you, church, for praying. Because I know it wasn't just the ladies praying. Man, I knew you were praying too. And so we have reason to celebrate and be joyful. And uh, today, as we look at the nativity scene, one of those emotions, one of those, and I can't call it an emotion, uh, it's a place of where God puts us, and that's joy. It's an eternal thing. So it's not just an emotion. Um, but that's what we're looking at today. So look with me in Luke chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. It's, yes, that passage we read on Christmas morning, at least we do in a stump house. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for their census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. So he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no lodging available for them. I don't know if you've ever you know, through obviously different stories in the Bible, but have you ever, with this story, this particular story, the birth of Jesus Christ, have you ever sat there and said, unrealistic, almost unbelievable? Really? I mean, how, do, come on. You look at this story, and have you ever thought, unreal? The circumstances, again, church people look at it with fresh eyes. We get caught up in knowing the story so much that we just we don't even bat an eye when we read the story anymore. As we were singing, what child is this? And I don't know. It's like God just grabs you and just wants like, I don't say sucker punch, but I felt a sucker punch. It's like to think of a, an infant, a, a newborn, 
to hold a newborn. What child is this? And as we sang that song, fresh eyes, that's all I ask, right? Author Kyle Eidelman used the term jumping the shark when talking about the Christmas story. Now, jumping the shark is an idiom. It's, it was popularized by John Hine. Uh, he used it to describe a moment, maybe in a television show, uh, when it seems like there's a deci decline in the quality of the show. So the producer's thinking, okay, what can I do? A particular scene, a maybe a gimmick attempt to catch the viewer's attention again. And so in that moment, the show has sort of taken a sign of desperation, and they, they put something into the TV show to grab the viewers, and hopefully this is going to keep them engaged again in the TV show. Well, the term is called jumping the shark, and it was used back, if you all remember, Happy Days and the Fonz, the Fonzarelli, okay? And he had his leather jacket on and swimsuits, and he was water skiing, and he water skied and jumped over a shark. That was a point in time, some of you probably remember that episode, right? And that was a point in time when John Hines said he was jumping the shark. And that's where that term come from, was that actual episode. And again, when you read the Christmas story for the first time, what part of the Christmas story seems like a jumping the shark moment? Like, just when you thought, okay, there might be losing something, here comes a really crazy thing. Okay? Or, well, as we're moving along the story, then here comes another crazy thing. I mean, look at the Christmas story. Choosing Mary and Joseph, his teenage girl, a virgin, not married yet to Joseph, and she's going to have the baby. Oh, wait, and where do they, what's their descendants? Rahab, the prostitute, great, 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 great grandma. Really? Is that really like a jump in a shark moment? Or maybe how about traveling on a three-day journey? You're going to uh, Bethlehem on the back of a donkey and walking while pregnant. Really? No rooms available, too, to top it off. I mean, they get there, and there's no place to stay. Is that a jumping the shark moment? Is that a moment where it's like, well, let's spice this story up? Oh, and by the way, there's no room available. So good luck on finding a place to sleep and having your baby born in a manger. To top it off, there's no place to stay, and you're going to place that infant in a manger. Really? It seems so unreal, right? But just, I'm going to say this, not just unreal, I'm going to say hard to relate. To me, that's hard to relate to this story. Because I remember driving like a madman. Rex, Rex, I think it's time. Let's go, let's go. You know, get the suitcase, let's get the car, got the keys, get in, flying down airport highway as quick as we can to get to the hospital. I'll never forget that first moment with, when, you know, the birth of Colin. I'll, I'll never forget getting there at the long hours in the hospital room, and there's Jenny trying to comfort her, the birthing pains, and I'm just a guy, okay? I can't imagine what's going on in the emotions in the mind of the women in all this, right? I can't fully experience it, but I can't even imagine ancient history. I can't imagine being in a cave-like barn for the birthing of a child. Hospital is what I'm thinking, right? There's no sterile blankets, right? There's no, like, they open up that little thing, and they, oh, here's a warm blanket, and they pull it out. It's all sterile and hospitally smell, right? That ain't happened in the barn. Was there clean water to drink? It's a trough that the cows were drinking out of. Mary, you want a drink? No clean sheets, no comfort, 
There's no comfortable bed with the little button. That, mm, the adjusting of system. Okay, oh, yeah, that, that feels better right there, right? That ain't happening in the barn. No rocking chair. No ice chips. I can't remember how many. You want another ice chip? You want another ice chip? I, no ice chips. Sorry, Mary. Sorry, Joseph. And instead of kicking your feet back up on the hospital bed or a rocking chair and just sort of like, whew, Joseph was probably kicking his feet like, well, he's probably getting stuff off his feet because what he was stepping in in the stable. That's the reality of it all. I mean, there's some serious troubles and challenges when it comes to the birthplace of our Savior. And so to me, fresh eyes looking at this story, doesn't it seem sort of unreal? The Savior of this world laid in a manger, a feeding trough. Phil, I don't know, did you ever clean out a feeding trough? Put a baby in there? <laughs> don't think so. Clean out the animal's food, their slobber, dirt, rat stuff. Yeah. Other possible messes, then you place a newborn infant. Something far from sterile, far from clean. Are you kidding me? That's one of those moments when you're reading a story and you think that's the jumping the shark moment, right? That's, a, that's the unrealistic moment. And as a man, Joseph had to be thinking through the things in his mind as a man, because as a man, I'm sitting there thinking, I've got things planned out. I want to know what's coming next. That's just sort of the way I operate. And I'm thinking for Joseph, what was Joseph thinking? This isn't going according to plan, God. I, I sort of envisioned this. I planned this, and now we're on a journey, and we can't find a place, and we're in a barn, and there's a main. This is not what I planned. But God says, it's what I planned. What I planned, Joseph. Part of God's plan is to show up in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a mess, in the midst of challenges. And he shows us why. He shows us why. There's reason for hope. There's reason for peace. And you know what? There's reason for joy and celebration. When you think about it, God could have kept his distance, right? God could have stayed in heaven given his instructions and sort of shouted them out, threw a few more on some, some stone tablets for people to read, put, put on scrolls. Here, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. But instead, we witness an act of humility as the God of this universe becomes flesh. He comes to his people in a very real world, a messy world. And he gives instructions from, and commands from this side of heaven in the flesh. He expresses what Paul said in Philippians 2. Let me read this to you. Paul said this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others too. You must have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And what is that attitude? Here it is. Though he was God, he did not think of himself as equality with God or something to cling to. Instead, he gave up the divine privileges that he took on the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. He left the throne room of heaven. He left everything that was incredible, beautiful, sterile, and came to this side of heaven, to earth, messy, dark, confusing. He humbled himself. 
an attitude that directly reflects the God of this world. And I, you know, we have to ask ourselves sometimes, because Paul, that was actually a command to us, too, to humble ourselves. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing when it comes to humility? Because didn't Paul say, be imitators of Christ? And isn't Christ the Son of God? He is God. And so when we are imitating Christ, we're imitating God, and God is humble, and that's the same attitude as Jesus Christ. So we should be humble, right? How are we doing with humility? To forgive when nobody else will forgive. I'm not going to forgive them. They'll ask for forgiveness first. In humility, will you forgive when others aren't forgiving? And I was thinking about serving and setting up in this church. Each and every one of you in this room is qualified for a position way beyond serving in the nursery way beyond working in the back with the children's church with the kids. You're all overqualified to set up chairs and help be on a setup team. You're all overqualified, okay? You, you can pull out a document. You can pull out a degree. You can show me how you are so overqualified to serve anywhere in this church. You really are. But you've humbly chosen to serve. And for that, I say thank you. You're imitating God when you humbly choose to serve. I was talking to a gentleman this past week, actually two weeks ago. He's a friend of mine. He, he attends a church in another town, and he's so excited about going to church right now. Last year, he wasn't. To him, his church life was church life, just another thing. And now when I see him, he's like, man, this is great, you know, and he's like, you could just see it on his face. Something's changed. I was like, what's going on? He goes, oh, I'm just, he goes, I I, don't really, I can't explain it, but God's doing something to me. And he goes, you know, the crazy thing is, I'm serving now in the church. I get up, and I show up at their church at 6.30 in the morning. Set up team, you're 8.30, right? Check this out. 6.30, every other Sunday. He's not like one month on, off three months. Every other Sunday, he's showing up 6.30 in the morning to set up chairs for over 700 people. Exactly. And that's what I was thinking. I was like, what? And here's the thing. You can see the joy on his face. He loves to serve. For him, it's setting up chairs. I can serve, right? Humility is not taking, listen, humility is not taking my turn and serving in the nursery, right? It's understanding that every position you serve matters. It's not a taking turn. It's a, I get to serve. I get to humble myself even though I'm way beyond that, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to help. I'm going to serve. See, we do it not for recognition, not a pat on our back, but because we're looking to the interest of others. How can I serve you today? I'll humble myself and I will I'll, I'll hold a baby. Okay, uh, I'll set up a chair. I'll sit in a room with eight crazy... What grade are you in? No, just kidding with our kids, and I love it. Wednesday night over uh, at the ministry center, love just sort of peeking in, hearing the excitement in the rooms, what's going on with our kids, and it's a blast to hear. It really is. And so I look at the nativity scene, I thought, that was a real place. Listen, it was a humble place for our Lord. He didn't have to show up in that non-sterile, messy barn of a cave where there was nothing around him that really showed prominence or royalty. It was such a simple, humble couple 
most likely to be voted for nothing couple. They're just, God, is this what you want? It's at that unsterile, unlikely birthing place that this first cast of characters arrive. They were the shepherds. The shepherds. When I say shepherd, what comes to your mind? I'm not going to have you raise your hands, okay? But what comes to your mind? The, is it the Middle Eastern, um, ancient Middle Eastern shepherds with the long robes on and long beards and they've got their staff? Does that come to your mind? Or maybe it's the Christmas pageant with the little kids in their bathrobes. Is that what you, know, when you think of shepherds in Christmas? Everybody has a different image, right? It's one of the lowliest occupations. It's not respected. And if you read through scriptures, Luke, out of all the books there, Luke is the only book, the only biblical count that mentions the shepherds coming to visit baby Jesus. Now, we need to know this about the book of Luke. It was written to the Greeks. See, each book is sort of written to a different audience. Luke was written to the Greeks. Greeks have a hard time being humble. Okay? And so it's sort of interesting that this account, Luke chapter 2, is such a humbling account of the birth of Jesus. God makes a statement about the humbling act of our God. He's like, how far is God going to go? How far will God go to show you his love? This is how far God goes, to the point where he humbles himself and becomes human and steps into the world that we step in, the messes that we mess with, the celebrations we celebrate with and the sorrows that we share. God says, I'm giving up everything. That's love. That's God coming here. And God's love is unique, and it's a humbling interest. So let's look at these shepherds that walk into this cast, this nativity scene, into this humbling picture. Verse 8, Luke chapter 2. Hopefully you're there with me still. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring what? Great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast horde, an army the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, we don't have any, um, unfortunately, any YouTube clips, no live footage from them to go back and say, let's, let's, let's all watch now how that all went down. We don't have that, do we? All we have is our creative imagination and the writings from Scripture. So we try to visualize that night, and if you look to Jewish writings and biblical scholars for help, I was checking this out. In the Jewish writings, uh, they tell us that these shepherds were men of probably at least 30 years of age. So they weren't, you know, like my first thought was, there's probably some little boys in there like shepherd boy David, you know. and There might have been, but it says the majority of these guys were probably 30-plus age uh, when it comes to their years of age, which removes, again, that, that thought of maybe what it looks like. But some scholars believe that not only were they of 30 years of age, but they were priestly 
shepherds. But what I mean by priestly shepherds is there were certain shepherds that took care of the sacrificial lambs that were going to be taken to the temple. And that these shepherds in particular may have been the priestly shepherds. And where they were at, there was a field between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And in that field, there was like a two-story tower. And the chief shepherd would be on top of the tower. And he would sort of sort of look out up here and just sort of uh, gaze upon all the, the sheep and the shepherds, the other shepherds that may be out there, just sort of looking for predators, things that might harm the flock. And meanwhile, down below on the first story of this tower was a little like manger scene. And that's where maybe sheep who were ready to give birth, they were brought in and it was a birthing place. And it could have, as some scholars believe, that night it could have happened that there might have been an actual lamb giving birth, or sheep giving birth, and they've been pulling out this lamb, and they clean it off, and they wrap it up in cloth, and then they allow it to acclimate to its mother and the rest. It could be that at that same time, the Lamb of God was being born in Bethlehem. Again, some scholars, uh, you know, they sort of think through this, and they think it could have happened. You never know, because that's what's going on on a typical night out in the fields. But in the midst of this typical night, something amazing happens. Little did they know, as they're out here amongst these sheep and these lambs, that the Lamb of God was going to be born just a short distance away. And an angel appears to these shepherds. In the midst of this story, you think about this angel appearing, and then a whole army of angels lighting up the sky, what would that have been like? There is obviously joy, right? I mean, these angels were singing. That it says this angelic army burst forth singing, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. And they're singing it. I don't know if you've ever been to a choir concert where there's hundreds involved, and we're not talking junior high choir concert, okay? We're talking like a professional concert where it's almost like a loud deafening sound, but not the kind that makes your ears like, ooh, that's too loud, but it's like, wow. Can you imagine the skies lining up with all these angels singing, and there was joy, glory to God in the highest heaven, right? Greater than any 4th of July fireworks show. But for some reason, you know, and you think about that moment with those shepherds, there was a moment of fear, right? And then the angel said, what, fear not, right? And then, but then the angels came forth, and that fear was enveloped by joy. There's a whole new thing that came upon them. And for some reason, you know, I think about this. This is Christmas season. This is the time we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. We're celebrating what took place at that nativity scene at that cave-like barn, which was such a very unsterile, messy place, not what we expected to a couple who would have never picked them, right? And God enters, God in the flesh, to save us. That's Christmas. So when you hear the Christmas songs and the lights and the decorations and you have fun decorating and making cookies and all that, it should be festive and not overwhelming, right? But for some reason, we don't always fear joyful, right? Everywhere we look, there's things to rob us of our joy. Even as I was driving in this morning, I got out of the parking lot and I'm coming in and there goes life flight flying overhead. 
And what do you do? You just start praying for whoever that's for, right? You sit there and think, oh, things rob us of our joy real quick. Accidents, news stories, even the weather forecast. Okay? You know, they get on, it's like breaking news. There's a thunderstorm coming. It's a, it's a storm. But they make it sound like it's the end of the world, right? This is, this is it. This is it. Jesus is coming back because we've got a little green dot coming across the radar. And that's it right there, right? There's a 30% chance of rain, but boy, it's going to hit. Take some medication to calm me down, right? All that depressing news, it's like, man, that's why I want to feel better, right? So even coming to church, so we come to church, and what do we hope for? We hope for, I hope we sing some good songs that, you know, pump me up, and I hope Pastor Rex tells a joke somewhere or says something funny because I like to smile, and I really do like hear good stuff and sort of tired of all the dreariness, you know, that I hear everywhere else, right? We want some happiness, but the thing is, we really don't want happiness. Because happiness is what? Determined by circumstances around us. It's just a simple emotion. What we want is joy, which is eternal, which is God-given. Matter of fact, in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, says this. He was talking to them about being connected to the vine, and he's saying all these things about what it means to follow his commands. And then he says this, I've told you all of this, why? So that I can give you a ticket. No. I give you all of this so that you will be what? Filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You want to know where joy comes from? From Jesus. It's eternal. It's his gift to us. Long-lasting, eternal, right? Uh, so going back to these shepherds. We're doing a very monotonous job. Do you ever think what it's like to sit around and watch sheep? Just think about that. What's it like to watch sheep? So how many of you, raise your hands, how many of you go to the zoo? Just curious, you go to the zoo, check it out. All right. Awesome. Almost all of you. Excellent. Now, I'm not going to tell you to do this, but how many of you go to the zoo to look at sheep? Can't wait to go see the sheep today. I'm just going to sit there and look at them in their pen them graze on that grass. It's amazing. Wow. We don't do that, do we? We go look at what? The monkeys and the orangutans, because they are hilarious, <laughs> right? We look at the rhinoceros because they're just sort of powerful. Big, yeah. Elephants, huge. Giraffes, towering. I like going into the aquarium and seeing all the kinds of fish, the multiple ways that God has created fish or looks. It's just amazing. Sheep? Yeah, later, right? <laughs> So think about the shepherds, the monotonous job of sitting there watching these sheep. Sort of day in, day out. So I'm going to go watch the sheep. Do you ever feel like that with your job? Moms, you ever feel that way with your kids? I mean, it's sort of, I mean, seriously, it's the same thing. You, not, not, kids, not that you're boring, okay? Trust me, some of you are not, okay? But it's a thing of changing the diaper, feed put the bed, wake them up, do this. It's the same routine. You know, you get them up, do it. It's the same, it's the same monotonous routine. And here's the scary thing. In the monotony of our life, what do we do? We look for change. Unfortunately, change can come in a very fearful way. And it isn't just the monotonous life. Sometimes it's the over-busy life, the over-scheduled life. I look through, you know, my to-do list, to-do list. I've got all this stuff to do on my to-do list. And by the way, one of the things I don't put on my to-do list is have fun. I don't put that on my to-do list. I don't put on there, stop, have a break, 
go laugh at something. I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't, that doesn't fit on there, right? I don't have time to stop and smell the roses, right? But the truth is, in the midst of a monotonous life or an overscheduled life, here's what happens. We are robbed of joy. We are robbed of our joy. So what do we do to change our monotonous life or overscheduled life? We take chances. And this is where it gets scary. It gets scary for everybody, even Christians. We take chances, so we gamble. We gamble with our money. We gamble with our marriage. We, we gamble with our purity. We gamble with our words. So we just get away with something. We try to break the mundane and do something exotic or pleasurable and never done before. And we think, this is going to make me happy. Does it really make you happy? Maybe for the moment, because sin is pleasurable and pleasure is, yeah, it's, it's enjoyable, right? But for a moment. And that's just happy. That's the emotion. That's not joy. And God says, I, I want to bring you joy. I want to bring you great news. You're being robbed of joy, and I, I, want, to, I want to rescue you from this, right? These shepherds were fearful. They were terrified when these angels first arrived. They'd been living this monotonous life. All of a sudden, they got fear striking them. And the angel's like, whoa, no, 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 no. We're not here to provoke fear. We're here to bring joy. Not happiness, not a change from the mundane, monotonous life. We're here to bring joy, add something into your life right now, where you're at, with your job, whatever you're doing. I'm not changing your job. I'm just bringing something different to it. And that joy eliminates fear. Luke 2, verse 9 says, They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. And that's going to bring great joy to all people. And again, what keeps us from joy? What robs us from joy? Our past mistakes rob us of joy, right? We feel guilty we did something, and it's like, oh, I remember when. And, I, and, I, and I, we sit there and we start asking ourselves, can God really love me when I did this in my life? I mean, can he really forgive me? What else robs us of joy? Greed. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. I want to read this to you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this to Timothy, true godliness, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we come into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food, enough clothing, let's be content. But people who, listen to this, long to be rich, fall into temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, you're a man of God. Run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness, and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. It's like Paul saying, you know what's robbing you of being content right now? You know what's keeping you from being happy and full of joy? The wrong cravings. What do he say? Long to be rich, love of money, craving money. It's like, it's like Scrooge, right? Another Christmas 
story we, we often hear. He was a miser. He was greedy, craved money, craved that power of having that money. And we see how it really made him miserable. Shepherds, were they rich people? Were they craving money? Obviously not, because that occupation did not lead to a lot of wealth. They're more on the quiet, humble side, right? Look what happens to those who long to rich, uh, love the money, crave money. It says they fall into temptation. They're trapped by foolish and harmful desires. They plunge into ruin, destruction. It's the root of all kind of evil. They wander from true faith. They pierce themselves with sorrows. It does not look like a good path to take. What does greed do? It robs us of joy. I'm sorry, but being pierced, wandering from faith, plunging into ruin, that does not sound like a joyful opportunity for us, does it? And we have that today because we have consumerism all around us, right? More, bigger, better. Let me ask you, does that deliver? No. Because we can never get the next best thing, right? Because whatever's underneath your Christmas tree, it's not, it's not going to bring you joy. You'll be happy. You'll be fun, right? But you know what? There's always something bigger out there. There's always something better. Oh, in the same way in life, like that way in sports. We win one game. You know what we got to do? We've got to win two. And when is winning never enough? Okay, we, oh, we won that tournament. With that. Well, there's another tournament. We've got to go win now. It's that way in, in our work too, right? There's no satisfaction. There's the next pay scale. There's the next position. There's the next, the next, right? If you're writing a book, well, there's the next book you've got to write. There's the next song you've got to write. It tempor- temporarily fulfills, yes, but it does not bring eternal joy. We have a belief system that we need more. We need to do more. And this is success. And success makes us happy. And we know this. It doesn't. Because it's not true joy. Turn with me the book. Uh, you're still there in Luke 2, right? Turn with me now. Uh, look at verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come. And listen to what it says. To come and what? Rescue Israel. See, Jesus Christ came to rescue Israel. Israel. Galatians 1, 4 through 5 says this, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to what? Rescue us from the evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen, Paul says. So I think about this, and I think Jesus has come to rescue us from all these things that, are going, that we think are going to make us happy. All these things that are robbing us of joy, Jesus says, I'm coming to rescue from that because true eternal joy comes from in here, from what God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, it was on this date, it's amazing. On this very date, rewind back eight years ago this day, that a winning bid of $100,000 placed by the Chicago History Museum was placed on a document of papers. Here's this document of papers. I bid $100,000 so we could have this for our museum. And what was that document they had? It's a collection of rare documents, including personal letters, canceled checks, that basically concerned the Chicago Black Sox scandal. The historical papers that allegedly fixed the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. 
they're keeping these records. They're right there. Somebody paid $100,000 so they could look at these records and say, guilty. Aren't you glad that when God picks up a record of the sins in our life, he takes them, we ask for forgiveness of our sins, and he erases them. He doesn't keep them. Isn't that good news? We confess our sins to God. He erases that record of sin as if it never existed. You know, none of us could ever stand up before God and say, here's what I have to offer. And he looks at our lives and there's no way we could stand before holy God with that record. So praise be to God that he gives his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth as a baby in a very messy stable so they could eventually end up on a cross but not stay on that cross, but resurrect from the dead to give us eternal life, to give us joy so that we don't have to walk around being miserable and feeling guilty because I've sinned. He's forgiven you of your sins. Amen? Good news that God loves us and the Messiah has arrived. He's arrived. Who is this Messiah? For unto us today a child is born. The government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. His rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven of armies will make this happen. That's what Isaiah wrote. The armies of God will make this happen. And the armies of God showed up to these humble, quiet shepherds and they heard the song. And they got the instructions. So why wouldn't you want to experience this joy? They looked at each other when the angels returned to heaven. If you look back at uh, Luke chapter 2, verse, um, where are we at? 15. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see what's happened, which the Lord told us about. And they hurried. They hurried to the village. They were excited. Let's talk about attitude and effort. See, you know, I talk to a lot of coaches' clinics, and I say, man, what do I want for my players? All I want for my players is attitude and effort. I want them to have an awesome attitude. I want them to show me some effort. And, I mean, if, you know, if God was looking down at these shepherds right now, he's saying, oh, I love my team. Look at them. Attitude and effort. Here they go. They're excited, and they're running. They have no clue. I didn't give them an address. They're going to go to that village, and they're going to go house to house. They're going to go barn to barn, stable to stable, cave to cave. This is fun. This is great. Look at my people go. You had to think maybe God had to be thinking a little bit of that. Maybe, maybe not. If not, some of the angels did. There had to be a couple of those angels up there saying, we never told them where. We just pointed them to the town. And there they go. There was effort being made. Experiencing joy is part of the journey. It's part of the journey of sacrifice and surrendering. They left their sheep. They surrendered their, their job, their moment of monotony, right? And they ran. See, when you run to Jesus and you sacrifice and you give up stuff and you surrender, I'm going to tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find some joy. You will. It's admitting our way isn't working, that our monotonous life with moments of happiness sprinkled throughout that just isn't enough. I need joy. So it's discovering that there's more. So he rescues us, he saves us, there's reason for joy, because that joy changes our lives, right? You know the cool thing about the shepherds was, is that when they finished meeting up with Mary and Joseph and they saw the baby, they, they finally found that stable and they walked in. Can you imagine 
as they, they walked up. It wasn't like there was a sign. Can you think about this for a second with me? Joseph was probably very protective of his wife, Mary, because they're in the middle of the cold in the middle of nowhere, right? They just had a baby, and then these strangers, right? Kids, what? Stranger danger, right? These strangers come walking, and they're sort of rough-looking. They got their bathrobes on or the shepherd's robes, right, and burly beards. And they're walking in, and dad's, dad's newborn baby in the house, what are you doing? Sit right there, Mary. Well, you're laying down. Never mind. And you walk up, and you confront them, like, can I help you guys? What do you need? I mean, yeah, it's not my barn, but this is where my baby is, my wife. And they're like, you just sort of think about maybe what could have happened. Because maybe the shepherds were like, we're, we're looking for a baby. Is this the one named Jesus? Is this the Messiah? Now, Joseph was probably like, how did you know his name? I mean, we, I, we just named, you know, come on. Can you imagine that moment? And then to find out this is the baby. And then their eyes, their looks, they're seeing Mary, and, and they are witnessing the Messiah, the one come to rescue them from the monotony of life, the one who's going to rescue them from the joy robbers of their life. And they amazed, right? What does Scripture say? After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. And all who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And then the shepherds went back to their fields, glorifying and praising God and all that they heard and done. They didn't go back and say, dudes, let's, let's start a speaking bureau now, and let's go around telling the story. Let's write some books. Let's get some t-shirts made up like, we saw Jesus first, and we've got the story. Exclusive rights to all productions right now. We've got it. What did they do? They went back to their job, but different with joy, praising and celebrating God. Would you please stand with me? All of you in this room are going to leave here today and go somewhere, whether it's out to eat, home to eat, somewhere, right? You might have an afternoon shift or job you got to go to. Tomorrow might be a new work day, something's going on. And here's the thing. You're sort of going back to the monotony of your life, but I want to encourage you with something today. I want to encourage you to be like the shepherds, through the monotony of their life and what was going on, they experienced eternal joy. We get to go back to our workplaces, our homes, our schools, and we get to go back with a different attitude of joy. Not like, oh, I'm so happy about it being Christmas. No, no, I'm joyful because that comes from God. I'm joyful that he has rescued me from my sins, that he has saved me, and I get to go celebrate that. What a wonderful thing to be able to do, to celebrate the joy. So in spite of your health, your job, your relationships, the Savior of the world has arrived, and that's great news, and that's worth singing about. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll sing about it. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God, and we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. You know, and it seems such like an unreal story. But then you have these shepherds just doing their thing. Normal day, normal night. You chose them in the midst of their fear, because we all have different things that rob us of joy in our lives. In the midst of their fear, you told them, it's okay, I've got some great news. In the midst of the things that rob us of joy, whether it's guilt, whether it's pain,
fear, whatever it may be, you bring us great news. And you invite us to go kneel at the, at the manger and see the Savior of the world. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Prince of Peace. And you give us joy. We confess, you forgive us. You give us joy. So God, we get to leave this place like the shepherds, rejoicing. 